Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. If you got it, somebody say, yeah. If you don't, I gave you enough time. I'm not waiting on you. Look up on the screen. Here we go. Verse 1 says this. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Somebody say they sold a possession. It's actually a piece of land. They sold a piece of land. It was 2022 in Acts chapter 5. The economy was busting. They knew they were going to get 50% over what they purchased it for. So they sold a piece of land. And they kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it. Somebody say she knew. knew. Come on, say it again. Somebody say she knew. knew. Yeah, you you don't do this because you guys are good Christians. You don't judge people. I judge people. You you, you ever seen a couple, maybe one of your girlfriends calls you, complaining about her husband, and one of your homies talking about, oh, his wife's crazy and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and you fall into the trap of feeling bad for the person? You ever been, oh man, it must be rough married to that person, dating that. I used to feel bad. Like first five years of ministry, I used to feel bad. Oh man, they don't communicate. Oh, must be rough married to somebody who don't communicate. Oh man, they're not affectionate. Oh, it must be rough. And then I realized crazy finds crazy. <laughs> weird finds weird. And y'all were made for each other. The only thing is they can't hide it. You're hiding it. But y'all, <laughs> some of y'all ain't laughing because you thought it was your spouse who was crazy. Well, you found them. Something about you was attracted to crazy, so you go figure that one out. Ananias and Sapphira, they were in cahoots together. It was a plan they came up with together. She was full aware and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan, he went straight to Satan. He said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to me. You've lied to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. So they had a piece of land. They sold it. They took the money and came to church. And they gave some of the money as an offering, but they said it was all the money. Peter said, you didn't just lie to me, Baltimore. You lied to God. And it says, Ananias, drop dead. Now, y'all don't know how to read the Bible because you're not dying laughing right now. Could you imagine if it got to offering time of the service? Somebody put their envelope in the offering basket and instantly dropped dead. Ushers came in. Carried them on outside, <laughs> dropped them serving. Listen, I'm never coming back to that church a day in my life. You people are crazy. I want no part of you. Sapphira was a little bit late to church. She had to drop the kids off in, in Acts Kids Ministry, and she comes a little bit late. And Peter asked her, he said, the money that you guys gave, is it all that the land costs? She said, yeah, 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 yeah. She didn't know what had happened to her husband. She said, yeah, that's all the money that we brought in. Verse 9, then Peter said to her, how is it? that you have agreed together. Somebody say together. They were together. They were unified. They were in one accord to test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. She did. And the young man came in and found her dead, carrying her out and buried her by her husband. Oh, they were buried together. So great fear 
<laughs> I'm being very insensitive right now. Pray for me. So great fear came upon all the church, upon all who heard these things. We're going to have fun. Two people dead. We're only three minutes into this message. It's going to be a good day. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're grateful for what you're doing in Anne Arundel County and Prince George's County and Howard County and Baltimore County and Carroll County and Fairfax County. And God, all that you're doing in this region, God, we thank you that revival is coming. God, in this moment, we're here for one reason, not to be seen or to see, but to hear from you. Speak to us, transform us, and as you speak, we will obey in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen and amen. We're concluding our series today called Hidden Gems. Hidden Gems, talking about love and relationships and marriage and intimacy. And the whole idea behind Hidden Gems is that God has wisdom on how to build amazing relationships in our life. But for some reason in 2022, we want to listen to Instagram more than we want to listen to God's word. We want more advice from our cousin on how to have a great relationship than from God's word. We're, we're, we're getting information. It's just misinformation. And then we're confused why our lives aren't looking the way that God's called them to look. We talked about how two halves don't make a whole. Come on, Baltimore. God didn't call me to step into a marriage all broken and expecting my spouse to, to make me whole. I find wholeness in Christ and, and two holes become one. We, we, we talked a few weeks ago how just because they can spell Jesus <laughs> does not mean that their husband material just... Just because she can speak in tongues doesn't mean you want her raising your daughter. There's a little bit more to it than that. I need to know who are you? Has God called us together? Is there a mutual vision and a purpose to our life? If you're new, jump on YouTube. Do not miss that. And Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Irene talked about how God has given us a spouse to help us heal. The Bible says that as Adam and Eve came together, that they were naked and unashamed. It's amazing how we're married, broken, and hiding it. The one person that God sent to heal us is the one person that we're not showing who we truly are. And then Pastor Zai last week came and said, hey, life and death is in the power of your tongue. If you keep on cursing your relationships, if you keep on declaring what they're not instead of what you're believing them to be, you will have what you say. I'm always looking for sympathy and all that other good stuff. And I just want you to know it's not easy preaching to you people. Every time I get up here and I say, this is what marriage is supposed to be like, then I go home to my wife and she says, oh, good message you preached today. I really like the whole part about being patient and selfless and serving, even if it's not your love language. It'd be nice if you didn't just preach it, but you did it. It's not easy doing what I do, but she preached last week. So when she came home, I said, oh, that was a good message you preached. I, I love how you were talking about celebrating and life and death is in the power of the tongue. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> it's so much easier to tell you guys what to do than actually make it work in our lives. But as we conclude today, I'm going to actually draw a picture for you. You're going to think that you're in elementary school. Don't worry. I'm going to bring it back to the word. But I want to paint a picture. A literal one and a spiritual one of what we are going after. 
I am, um, I am what people would call artistically challenged. I, I, I am not an artist. I, I, I am creative in terms of I create messages every week, but, but I'm not as creative. I wrote one poem in my life. I read it to my wife the day I proposed to her, and I've never written another poem in my life, and she won't let me live it down. She's like, you tricked me. The only reason I took that ring is because I thought you were sensitive, and that you wrote poetry, and you had feelings and emotions, and I haven't seen it since the day I said yes, and got him. Hear me. You just got to trick one. That's all. Yes. That's all it takes. I, I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm artistically challenged. I'm, I'm not a painter. I'm not, not an artist. I, I don't sculpt. I, I don't do poetry. I'm just kind of, what is it, right brain, just kind of practical. I was actually telling the staff about the illustration before, and they wanted to come from my life. They said, you know, it was because you're homeschooled. You know, what do you homeschoolers do anyway? Do you, do you even learn? Do you, you, and I just had to stand up for homeschoolers. There's not a lot of us, but it's just like, you know, we don't just make butter and bread. We are, we are educated. We are, we are gifted. And I told that staff member who will remain nameless, I said, Temi, you just remember <laughs> that you went to public school and a public school is working for homeschoolers. So I'm just, okay. So sometimes, sometimes, so I'm not good at art. That was real ignorant, right? Pray for your pastor. I'm not good at art, but what I would do growing up is I would trace. I would get some car, I'd get some action figure. I know we have any Dragon Ball Z fans in the room, but y'all don't love Jesus, so y'all know about that anyway. But I'd get Goku or, 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 or Android number 14 or whatever it may be, and I'd, I'd kind of print out a picture on the computer. I'd, I'd stick it behind a piece of paper. I was like Ananias and Sapphira, because I also lied to my parents and told them I drew it myself. But, but I threw it back there, and, and then I would start tracing that picture. And, you know, you could kind of see the lines through through the, the paper, and oh my goodness, this is art. Did you know that you were going to get an art class in church when you woke up this morning? Look at this, my goodness. All right, we doing all right? We're doing all right. Boom. There's going to be an auction after service. Bids start at 15 cents. Please don't leave me hanging. And I'd basically get a picture and I would copy that picture on a different piece of paper. Somebody say preach. Isn't it amazing? Oh, that's a black eye. Sorry, guys. That's not good. Isn't it amazing how this is kind of how we build our lives? We kind of see the way somebody else's marriage looks and we say, oh, I like that. I'm going to copy that. And we see the way somebody else raises their kids, and those kids don't seem too crazy. I think I'll, I'll do it that way. And maybe we watch the way that our parents loved each other or didn't, and we copy that. And it's not just our relationships, but it's our money. It's our, our faith and Without even realizing it, we spent our whole life, come on flowers, copying what looks like success and try to duplicate it in our lives. The problem is that as I would be tracing, I'm not an artist, and you know, artists have really steady hands, and, and I didn't. So, so often, the picture that I was tracing, it would shift as I was tracing it. 
but I wouldn't really realize that it had shifted and I would just keep tracing as if nothing happened and I would draw, I can't even see because it's so distorted. And I'm just kind of drawing what I saw. And it's just not working out the way that I thought it was going to work out. And I can't even find it. This is, I'm going to start over here. Okay, and, and then next thing you know, I don't have a picture of what I was copying. I just have this distorted, blurry... Where Monday I'm married to this, but Tuesday they're that. Come on, somebody say equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and Wednesday she looks like this, but come Thursday. <laughs> somebody say stick to the word, stick to the word, stick to the word. <laughs> it's amazing how so many things that we consider hashtag goals. So many things that we're looking to build in our lives, so many things that we're pursuing are based on something that we've seen in somebody else's life, and we say, oh, that looks good. I want that. And we're copying something, but hear me, we're copying a copy. Because they found their image for life from parents and from culture and from neighbors and from trauma and from wherever else it may come from. And we wonder why the different areas of our life, you can apply this to marriage, you can apply this to your money, you can apply this to your purpose, your personality, or whatever it may be. We wonder why, like a jacket that doesn't fit right, it's just uncomfortable, it's not fulfilling, it's just, it's just not landing the right way. It's because we're the copy of a copy instead of a copy of the blueprint. We find ourselves going after what looks right instead of saying, God, what is right? What have you called me to build and what is it supposed to look like? What I want to talk about for the next four hours that we have together today. Three people are laughing. Twelve people just ran for the back door. Is what does God's vision for marriage look like? Not what my mama told me marriage is supposed to look like. Not what my, my sister's marriage looked like. Not, not what that wealthy couple down the street looks like. But, but what is God's intentional plan? What is it supposed to look like? I, I talk to so many. I know the world is watching, but I'm pastoring Union Church. Is that okay? I run into so many single people at Union Church. I say, Pastor, you're tripping. I don't want to be married. So many married people at Union Church that say, Pastor, that's great, but that's not what I want my life to look like. And what I find is for so many people, what they are rejecting is not God's original plan, but it's humans' distortions of it. And they say, well, if that's what marriage is, if that's what money looks like, if that's what it means to be that, then I don't want to be that. No, no, no. You are looking at the copy of a copy, and what they were copying has slipped four or five times. That's not God's original plan. Old folks used to say, you're throwing the baby out with the bath water. My goal today is to say, hey, this is God's original plan, not because it's the way that I'm living or because of the way that I've seen, but because it's what God's word says. You, you got to understand, Ananias and Sapphira were hashtag goals before there were hashtags. 
Before there was Bonnie and Clyde, there was Ananias and Sapphira. Before there was Jay-Z and Beyonce, there was Ananias and Sapphira. Before there was Barack and Michelle, whoever you're, oh, that's what a power couple is. Before they were them, Ananias and Sapphira were it. They were good looking. They were married. They were wealthy. You got to read the Bible. It says they sold one of their properties. They weren't homeless and, oh, man, I gave, no, 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 no. So one of their properties, just to give it to, they loved God, y'all. You know, a lot of times we can look at success like, oh, but they don't have Jesus. They're going to burn in hell. <laughs> no, 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 no. They were in church. Everybody knew what they drove. Everybody knew when they walked in because they, they, they were dressed well. And, they, they, and it was, this was, that's what marriage looks like. Y'all, they were unified. The Bible says that they were in agreement. They were on the same page. But because they chose the world's image for marriage instead of God's image for marriage, they were so slightly off and it cost them everything. Here's what God says about bringing people together. It's in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. By the way, for all my theologians, there's this, there's this theological term called the law of first mention. What the law of first mention means is if you want to know the original design, the original purpose, the, the original definition of something, you must find where it is first mentioned in Scripture. The first mention is the most pure definition of it, and everything else is just to support it. We don't get to define life. The Word defines life. And look what God said the first time he mentioned any people together in verse 27. It says, so God created man... In his own image, somebody say in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful. Somebody say fruitful. And multiply. There's New International Stephen Version, that means make babies. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In these two verses, we get all of God's plan for marriage. If you're taking notes, can you write this down? Grab a pen, pull out your phone or whatever it may be. Write this down. If you're not taking notes... Can you write this down? Grab a pen, put it on your phone, wherever you need to put it. The first thing I want you to write down is this. God's original plan for marriage. I can't even say original. God's only plan for marriage starts with this. God's plan for marriage is that we reflect before we relate. God's first focus for marriage, come on Baltimore, is that we reflect before we relate. It's amazing how we say things, and it sounds like common sense because we've said it so many times, but it makes no sense. You, you, you ever heard the term falling in love? We fell in love. I, I don't know what happened. I just saw her walk into that class, college algebra. I saw her walk across the room. Oh, my goodness. I saw him at work one day, and we just fell in love. So let me get this straight. You saw them. You were walking. You didn't see the step in front of you. You and you, how, how romantic is that? <laughs> if I hadn't tripped, we wouldn't be married right now, but I literally, and we make, I, I get weak in the knees. And <laughs> it 
it's amazing how when we're talking about love and relationships and, and marriage, the first thing that we think about is love. And the first thing we think about is how they make me feel. And oh my gosh, he's so funny. And it's just, I mean, he just makes me laugh all the time. <laughs> You've been around a couple that they think each other's funny and none of them are funny. <laughs> it's like, y'all are a mess. Y'all got problems right now. But when we think about marriage, when we think about, oh, can I get in trouble? I live in trouble. When, when we evaluate how good our marriage is, like right now, our marriage is horrible. Our marriage is great. Nine out of 10 times, the, the evaluator that we're using is the level of love in the marriage. How much that person is focused on me, how much attention they're giving to me, how much they're putting my needs above their own, back and forth, how much we're agreeing. When we think about the success or the failure of our marriage, we instantly go to how are we relating? God says, no, no, no. The first purpose of your marriage is not how you relate with each other. The first purpose of your marriage is how you reflect my image here on earth. You don't got to clap. You don't have to say amen. I'm in the word, so I'm good. He said, let us make them in our image. The first reason why God brought people together is that when others see them, they see God. That when others see them, it puts a desire inside of them. I don't know what they have. They may not be able to say it's God. They just know it's something different. Whatever they have, I want. The first mistake Ananias and Sapphira made in their marriage is they made their marriage about how they made each other feel instead of first making it about how they made God feel. The first goal of my marriage is not to make Zai happy. The first goal of my marriage is to make God happy. Acts chapter 17 verse 28 says this, for in him, for in God, we live and we move and we have our being as also some of your own poets have said, I'm not a poet, so it wasn't me, but some of your poets have said, we are also his offspring. The writer of Acts said, listen to me, it's in God that I live. It's in God that I move. It's in God that my very existence takes place. I, I, I think the first time that my wife, Zai, came over to my family's house when we were dating, I think she almost broke up with me in that moment. I, I, you hear me talk about my family all the time. And by the way, they want to beat me up every single message. They're like, Stephen, you can't be telling all of our business. And I'm just like, well, it makes for good stories, so calm down. But my dad and my mom, they were married for 30 plus years. My dad was a pastor, is a pastor. I have four siblings, so it was a packed house. There was always people in our house. Chandlers were just a little bit ignorant, a little bit opinionated, a little bit strong, a little bit loud. My, my, my wife came from a house where it was her, her mom, her sister. Her sister are about seven years apart, so she almost felt like an only child. She, she came from a house where, where they, they read books. They, like, expressed themselves. They, they showed their feelings. And, you know, Zai met me when I was the pastor of the church. So she met my dad and my dad. And I know he's in Baltimore and he's not happy right now, but it's okay because I'm a BWI. Anyway, he, uh, he, he, he's a pastor. He, you're not going to catch him without a, a suit or a jacket. He, he's reserved. He, he, he's regal. He's elegant. He, he, he's a mund of God. 
So the first time Zai came over to my parents' house after church one Sunday, she, she walks through the door, and, and, and this pastor that she had seen, Pastor Ron, this, this man of God, he was screaming at my brother Patrick. It was like, have you lost your mind? You're not, you're your mother's child. I don't even know what I'm but my younger brother, Patrick, is screaming right back at him. And Zion's like, they're animals. They were raised by wolves. I can't marry to this family. These people are crazy. Now, if you had stayed for about 10 seconds, you would hear what looked like was about to be a fist fight. Was an argument over, are you crazy? There is no way LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. This is because you're young and you haven't seen anything in your life. He is the GOAT, the greatest. And Patrick is yelling right back. And as soon as I figure out what they were talking about, I'm yelling and I'm screaming. Because we're Chandlers. We, we live life. We just loud people. I was talking to my five-year-old Zoe. I said, Zoe, you got to use your inside voice. He said, what'd you say, Dad? <laughs> so that first time we leave the house and Driving, driving Zai back off her house every day, and she said, Stephen, I've never seen you like that. I, I, I thought you were quiet. I thought you were an introvert. What was that? You were loud. You were, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't like it. You were hilarious, but I've never seen that part of you. And what she was identifying is what all of us know, that in certain environments, we change. When you get into an environment with family, with friends, with people where you don't have to put up pretension, where you're just yourself, come on, you let your hair down. You're just you. I mean, you're not worried about anything. You're not thinking about anything. You just go off. Some of you, that environment includes liquid courage. You're reserved on the first one, on the second one, but you get about that third glass, and next thing you know, you, you, you think you're Jim Carrey. You think you're Kevin Hart. You just got all the jokes today. Because there's certain environments that reveal a different side of you. Somebody say, preach the word. Outside of God, you're not you. It is impossible to be the best version of you or even the true version of you separated from God. You separated from God is like some toy with no batteries in it. It has the essence, but none of the mobility. So for us, we think that love is the essence of our marriage. Hear me, love is not the first or the only thing in our marriage. It is God and us reflecting him because without God in me, I'm not even me. Some of you are like, who am I married to? I don't know until they get the Holy Spirit because without him, we are not who he's made us to be. In Psalm 1611, he said, I will show, show me the path of life. God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If marriage is going to work the way God's called it to work, we got to make a decision. Reflecting God is more important than anything else in my marriage. Now, here's what I find. A lot of times, Columbia, we say things that sound good in church, and we have no idea what it means. Go home. Reflect God. <laughs> you looking at your spouse like, okay, I guess this is what he means. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Do you know in the Old Testament, that's literally what they did? They wrote scriptures, and they 
attached them to their forehead. And I think God wants us to live Bible more than he wants us to wear Bible. So how about we take off the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt? And we just stop missing our prayer time in the morning. And actually make him our homeboy. So what does it look like to reflect God? You, you guys are in trouble. Your pastor has a degree in economics, so that means everything I see is equations. I'm sorry. That's just the way my brain works. You know, one plus one equals two, X plus Z, all that other good stuff. When you think about a math equation, especially the complicated ones that have X and Y and square roots and all that other good stuff, you know, if I can figure out what X is and I put it into the equation, then I'll be a little bit closer to the solution. So we're going to do a little biblical equation. Is that okay, Flowers? Well, I have the microphone, so it doesn't matter if it's okay. Here we go. The Bible says that God is love. Probably one of the shortest verses in all of scripture. God is. Okay, we're going to memorize this verse together. You guys ready? Here we go. God is. Good job. Good job. Good job. Next week we'll do Jesus wept. We're on the way. <laughs> so the Bible says God is love, right? So as I look through scripture, when I see the word love, that is synonymous with God. Y'all know that really annoying verse that they read at every single wedding? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is protect, love is just, love is Sorry, I've done too many weddings. I'm just like, really, you want to read this again, guys? Can we pick another one? Well, the verse says love is, love is, love is, love is. But the Bible says that God is love, which means that God and love are synonymous. So if you mind if I read that verse, but I take love out and I put God in? And I'm not going to put it up on the screen because you're not allowed to take anything out of the Bible. So just, Stephen, here we go. It says, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. And he does not dishonor others on Instagram comments. Keep going. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God does not keep a record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. So if I want my marriage to reflect God, then I need to be patient, kind, not envy, not boast, not be proud, not dishonor others on Instagram comments, not be self-seeking, not easily angered, not record of wrong. Not delight in evil, rejoice in the truth, always protected, always trust, always hopes, always persevere. Somebody said, I got it. But here's the thing that blew my mind as I was preparing this message. Whenever we think about reflecting God in our marriage, whenever we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God is love, patient, kind, all that kind of stuff, we always think, okay, if I'm going to reflect God, I need to be patient with Zai. And I need to be kind to Zai. And I need to protect and always trust and always persevere and no, keep no record. And yes, you do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just asking, not how you interact with each other, but how does your marriage interact with the world? We're not just, ref I'm married to her. So me reflecting God to her is important. But, but it's not the first reason God put us together. He put us together so that we're an image to the world. of who. So, so here's a question. How patient is your marriage with people you interact with? How honoring or dishonoring are you all to those that God sends into your life? Have you ever thought about protecting someone who doesn't have your same last name? Do you keep a record of wrongs? 
How are we, how does our marriage reflect to the world? There's something different about them. I need to know what they have. God's first plan for marriage is that we reflect his image on earth. His second thing is this, is that we build down before we build up. Here, here's the thing. It, it, it stages. It's step one. It's step two. It's step three. If you get step one wrong, even if you guess right on step two and you're making it one, you're still off track. One of the things that, <laughs> that I hear so many people talk about is what they're going to build when they get married or as they're married. I, I'm not going to worry about buying a house right now because I'm telling you, when we get married, the house we're about to build is going to be... <laughs> Man, I can't tell you, we got to work for one more year, and then this vacation we're about to go on. Man, let me tell you about this business. And, and hear me, there's nothing wrong with wanting to build something great in your marriage. God's called you to build. That's point number three, but we didn't get there yet. But before you build up, God's called you to build down. You know what got Ananias and Sapphira? Greed. It just took a certain dollar amount to expose where their heart really was. And hear me, their heart wasn't in money. Their heart was in people's perception of them. Let's break this down for a second. This was a season in scripture where the church was just getting started. Over 3,000 people gave their life to Christ after Peter preached that one message. It says God was adding people to the church every single day. And the church began to say, we want to make sure that there is no one within our church that lacks nothing, that needs anything. They, they began to see people that were struggling, people that couldn't work because they were sick or whatever it may be. And spontaneous generosity began to break out. You know me, I'm shady, can't be shady just for a second. It's amazing how our heart breaks for that homeless person on the street that we drove by. But it does not break for that broken person that's sitting on our same row. Come on now. It's amazing how we will drive across town or fly to a different country to help the hurting. And there's a hurting person right in that connect group that you won't attend. The early church, God says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap a harvest. And we don't read the last part. The last part says, first, to the believer, to your brethren. The church's first responsibility are to the people that God's connected us with, and then to the world. But anyway, spontaneous, and I knew the message, I was just going off. But here we go. Spontaneous generosity is bringing out the church. People are, are, are selling cars, selling property, and giving the money to the church, and they're getting praised for it. And Ananias and Sapphira said, hey, hey, that looks good. I, I love the way they celebrated them. I love the way that they, they, they made them look. We want to do that. Let's sell this piece of land. Ooh, it brought more money than we thought it would. Let's give some of the money to the church, but let's tell them it's all the money. I'm having fun. I don't know if y'all having fun. I love God's word. Somebody say, break it, down. break it down. Step number one, nobody told them to sell the land. This was not a tithe and it was not a request. They did not have, they could have kept the land. You don't got to sell it. Step number two, they could have sold it and kept the money. It was an offering. It was not a requirement. They didn't have to. They came up with the idea. Right. Step number three, nobody told you to give all your money to the church. They could have given half. And when Peter said, is this half, they would have said, yes, it's half. Peter would have been like, cool, next. They're the ones 
that wanted to be perceived by others as being generous. And man, look what we've done. I, I want everybody to talk about us. And because they were more concerned about what the church said about them than by who they were and who God made them to be, they made the biggest mistake of their life and it literally cost them everything. Hey, we're going to build empires. Somebody say amen. But before we build a great legacy, can we just build a great relationship? Yes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8 says this, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He said, who am I doing all this work for? And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? He said, this too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Yes, build a great name for your family, your marriage. Yes, great. Build great wealth and a business. But before you build something up, make sure you've built a relationship down. The second person, pur purpose that God created marriage for is to be a place of love, a place of nurturing, a place of reprieve, a place of joy, a place that feeds you before you feed the world. I, I, I was watching last night as Coach K, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, he's the head coach of Duke University basketball. And many people would argue that he is one of, if not the greatest college basketball coaches ever to live. Now, it is difficult for me to say that because I graduated from University of Maryland College Park, and we hate Duke. Pastor, hate is a strong word. I know. That's why I used it. We, <laughs> correct me. I mean, literally, it's like Duke, and then it's the devil. And I don't know which one I hate more. But watch this. I don't have to pick because Duke is the blue devil. So anyway, but I love Mike Krzyzewski. It's weird. I don't know. I'm confused. Anyway, greatest college coach there ever was. He coached the men's Olympic team. He's won six Olympic gold medals with our U.S. team. He's won five national championships, 12 Final Four appearances. He coached for 42 years straight, a West Point grad. The arena was packed out with, I mean, some of the greatest people all to witness his final game at Duke last night. After the game, and they lost, um, he gets up to give his speech. You, you, you should watch. The first thing he says in his speech is, I'm so glad I never put basketball before my family. And as he was standing there, his wife was right there, his four daughters and all his grandkids. I'm paraphrasing, but he would say all those accolades that they just read, it would mean nothing if they were not standing behind me. And then he lifts his hand up, and on his hand is his West Point ring, and he explains how the stone fell out of his West Point ring, and his wife got a Duke blue stone and replaced it with the West Point ring. But he said, under my West Point ring is my marriage ring. 
He said, I wear these two rings all the time. I never take them off. And he said, my, it was like he wanted to preach my message for me. He said, my marriage ring is on the bottom and then West Point and Duke is on top because everything that I've built is laid the foundation of my family. I don't even know if he's a believer, but he got that one right. That whatever we accomplish in life, if we accomplish it at the expense of the people that God has given us, then we've really accomplished nothing. Okay, I'm, this is just, you don't have to believe this. This is just me reading into scripture. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Solomon had 300 wives, 500 side chicks, and a whole bunch of kids. <laughs> Bible calls them concubines. It's all the same thing. <laughs> he said, I've built all this wealth, but I have no son and no brother. It was Solomon writing this. It's just Stephen. You don't have to believe this from Scripture. This is what I think. I think Solomon wasn't saying, I don't have a biological son or a biological brother. I think Solomon was, I don't have a relationship with my son. And all my brothers hate me. Because I lied, cheated, stabbed them in the back to build all that I've built. And now that I've built it, it means nothing because I have nobody to enjoy it with. Hear your pastor I want you wealthy. I want your name on the wall. I want when you retire that the whole company shuts down and says, this is one of the greatest to ever do it. I want you to have the house that you, I want all that for you. God wants all that for you, but not at the expense of having the people who know you the most think the highest of you. Come on now. So your Wednesday meeting is on the calendar. Can we put date night on the same calendar? Come on now. You know the deadline that you have for that project. Can we have another deadline that I need to have this conversation with my daughter before this time? Because if I don't tell her, the school will. And I'm not sure the way that her friends are going to tell her is the way that God wants her to hear. Come on now. Can we be as intentional? This is like a song, but we're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time about two seconds. But can we be as intentional as building our relationships as we are as building our retirement account? God says this is what matters. So we'll give you point three. We're going to land a plane. Can I get really practical? Married folks, let's stop missing date night. Date night doesn't equal money. Pay off your debt, be financially frugal, that's all right. Leave the house. Come on, somebody can watch your kids. I get, I'm a protector, I'm, I don't trust nobody. But on date night, I trust somebody. <laughs> this is, this is, we just get funny and creepy all because I got ring cameras everywhere. We've been on date night. I'm just like, okay, where they at? Okay, what room they in? Okay, we're good. Come on. You know what's wild? 95% of people's marriages are spent fixing problems. We got to fix kid problems. We got to fix in-law problems. We got to fix money problems. We got we to fix work problems. It's like the only time we talk is when we're talking about the next problem to fix. But here's the thing. You did not fall in love with their, fall in love. There we go again. You didn't fall in love with their problem-solving skills. Come on now. First time you met them, you didn't say, oh my gosh. <laughs> the way you fix that problem. 
I mean, for real, for real. There was no parking space that you found a parking space. I'm telling you. That's a man I can follow. I'm glad they have wisdom. I'm glad that they can fix problems, but that's not why God brought you all together. But yet it dominates our time. So practical stuff. Somebody say date night. Come on, say make it happen. Can't give you another step. Don't let the kids go to bed the same time you do. Don't let the kids go to bed after you do. There need be the time when they go to bed and you're still awake. I'm not sleepy. Well, you don't pay the mortgage. You don't have to sleep. You just have to disappear. Because our marriage does not revolve around you. Do I need to say it again? Are we good there? Our marriage doesn't revolve around kids. It's amazing how kids dominate a family. But yet mom and dad being on the same page is the most valuable thing for that family. And what's the most important thing often gets the least amount of attention. Can't give you another third trick. And by the way, I've only been married nine years. It's not like I got all this covered. I'm just telling you things that mentors and pastors and people that I've learned in God's word says. Can I give you one that I just heard? And I'm like, that's insane. One of my pastors, Pastor Chris, he said this. He said, never let your wife go to bed and you're not going to bed same time. I said, okay, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. He said, ain't nothing cute about working all night long. He said, those emails will be there at 4 a.m. when you wake up. If you got emails to do, wake up early, but don't go to bed late. And he said, if you would just go to bed at the same time, y'all don't understand, I'm, I'm helping your intimacy life right now. Pastor, we just, just, just go to bed at the same time. And go to bed before you're tired. We do at work right now, okay? Y'all got one of them things where as soon as your head hits the pill, you go. That ain't, no, no, that's why, that's why, that's why you're angry right now. Go to bed before you're tired and don't turn the TV on. You're just sitting there. <laughs> I can't she got all her flannels on. You got your do-rag on. Y'all looking like. <laughs> but you're bored. <laughs> what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> Hey, I'm helping you right now. Do you know how sometimes the simplest things make the biggest changes? We're just going to value each other. Last thing is this. Sean, we did it again. Why do you preach so long? Sheesh. Okay, write this down. Sean's like, I'm here every week. It's never my fault. Point number three, write this down. God's plan for your, God's purpose for your marriage, God's design for your marriage is first, not that you'll make each other feel good, but that you'll reflect his image on earth. Oh, I'm preaching to you and I'm convicted to myself. Because it doesn't matter how mad I am at Zion. I know you think we're perfect, but we do get mad at each other. But if my primary thought is how do I make God look, not am I right? Man, how much would that change some of our disagreements? The second purpose of my marriage is not what we can build, but who are we together? A hundred million dollar net worth with no one to share it with. 
is not as valuable as we ain't broke. But man, we have a lifetime of memories and love that we've built. The final purpose that God has for your marriage is to give ourselves to something that matters. He said, I'm going to make them in my image. He said, be fruitful and multiply. But then he said, subdue. Like, there's something that God puts you on this earth to build with your spouse that you cannot build on your own. And, and here's what God said. He, he said about Abraham. No worries, singles. I'm going to clean it up. We're going to land it. It's going to be great. Genesis 22, 18. God says, Abraham, in your seed, in your family, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He said, because you and Sarah left your family, left everything you were familiar with and decided that you were going to live out the call of God. Do you know that there are nations that were forever impacted because the two of you got married? There is a divine call on your union and it is bigger than just making money and making sure the bills are paid. There's an impact that God has called you to fulfill. Many of you may not know this, but, but when I became the pastor of the church, I was single pastor there for two years. And then, I'm not going to give you the whole story, but me and I got married. When we got married, she was a nurse. I was a pastor. Somebody say disaster. There's nothing wrong with being a nurse. There's nothing wrong with being a pastor. But when you put two of them in the same house, they never see each other. Because she had these seven-hour shifts, and, or actually 12-hour shifts, and she was, I mean, going, leaving, moving. When she was awake, I was asleep. When I was asleep, she, we were like ships passing in the distance. Babe, this isn't working. The other problem is she had a word from God. Before she met me, God told her that these hands were made for healing. Like she was called to be a healer. Whoa. One day she came to me and she said, Stephen, I think I got it wrong. God said these hands were made for healing. And I always assumed that meant, meant medicine. But I think God is beginning to call me to heal the soul more than he's called me to heal the body. I find myself at work thinking about people that are hurting and what I can do to help them. I think I'm called to ministry. So I'm a pastor. My wife is a pastor. My wife preaches. I preach. Can I mess with your head? The call of God on our life is not to be pastors. The call of our life is not to be preachers. The call of God on our life are to be healers to every single person that we come in contact with. And it would not, I mean, obviously it's the way that I grew up and it's the way that my life is, but I can't tell you how every time I walk, not every time, most of the times I walk into my house, there's somebody in that house, someone who's hurting, somebody who's broken, someone who just needs a laugh, someone who just needs an escape, someone who needs healing from their past. They're receiving from what God called me and my wife to do. And I'm telling you the fulfillment that comes because we know why God brought us together. And we're pastoring a church, but the day that we retire doesn't mean that the call of God on our life is retired. He's called us to heal till the day we die. Let me get up in your business and then we're going to pray and land. Is that okay? The Bible says that marriages, the two have become 
So it's no longer Stephen, it's no longer Zai, we are now. So if I'm walking in my purpose and she's not, I am still unfulfilled. If I know the call of God on my life and she doesn't, or if she knows the call of God on her life and I don't, she's still unfulfilled because we're one. It's not God's plan for marriage. I got my stuff together. You need to figure your life out. I'm out here building. What are you doing? No, 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 no. Where? So here's one of my greatest jobs in my marriage. To find all the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has placed in my wife. And to call them out of her. And to position her to fulfill all that God has called her to fulfill. And as she's positioned, I'm positioned. And one of the greatest call of God's on her life is to discover all the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has placed inside of me, but I can't see them because of my own insecurities. And her to be able to say, I see this in you, and this is what God, and just trust me, if you take that risk, I'm telling you, you're going to see yourself do things that you never thought possible. And when we make our focus, God, what is it called us to build? There's a fulfillment that we experience. Can I just be ignorant for a second that the world knows nothing about? If you're not walking in your kingdom purpose, you don't even know what life is. Because that's where fulfillment comes that nothing else can replace. Somebody say amen. There's a problem, pastor. I'm widowed and I have no interest in getting remarried. Pastor, I'm divorced and been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, ain't going back. Pastor, I'm not even sure if I want to get married. I'm single, never been married, but I don't want to be married. That's fine if that's God's plan for your life. But I maintain what I just said. You cannot fulfill the call of God on your life by yourself. You need other people that are seeing things in you that you can't see in yourself. You need other people that are picking you up when you're down, that are encouraging you, that are pushing you. And there's what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is a brother that God sends that sticks closer. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says that God takes the lonely and he puts them in families. That family that he's placed you in is this church. So let me just say it plainly. ISO Christianity does not work. I get real ignorant. I walk in the door. I hear a great message. I sing. And I'm in my car before parking team can get out there. Parking team waving. I'm like, <laughs> You'll get a good word, but you'll never fulfill the purpose of God on your life. You're going to have to make a decision. This is not the church I attend. This is my family. And I'm going to take the risk of connecting with someone else. Because I need them just as much as they need me. And I don't care how successful you've been by yourself. You haven't even scratched the surface of all that God has for you. Father God, we are grateful. God, with all these billions of people in the earth, God, you actually know each and every one of us by name. You care, and you have a plan and a purpose for us. God, it blows our mind, but we're grateful. God, I'm praying over every married couple. 
God, every single person, every person that is wondering what you have for their future. God, I thank you that you're bringing a peace in this moment to let us know that our best days are ahead of us. God, you're sending the people into our lives that we need to maximize all that you've called us to be. Right where you're sitting with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. I said it in the message, but I'll say it again. Your relationship with God matters more than your relationship with any other human. And if your relationship with God is not right, it is literally impossible to make any relationship with a human as much as it can be. Wherever you find yourself, if you'd be honest enough to say, Pastor, my relationship with God is not where it needs to be. Maybe you grew up like me. Maybe you grew up in church, but you never truly had a relationship with the God of the church. Or maybe this whole church thing is new to you. But you know I can't say that God is a personal Lord, a personal friend, a personal Savior, but I want to. You can make that decision right now, and he will come sleeping into your life. The Bible says he will bring your spirit alive. If you say, Pastor, I need that right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing me, for wanting me, for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Right now, I repent. I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And use me for your purpose, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person?